Hello everyone and welcome to Education Checkup, a weekly podcast here at KTBS that covers what is happening in education in Northwest Louisiana. You can access this podcast and many more covering a variety of education topics on the KTBS3.com website. I am Johnette Magner and my co-host is Dr. Philip Roseman, a cardiologist by occupation, but he's also a leading education and business leader here in Northwest Louisiana and across our state. And he is gonna introduce not only our guests for today, but our many interesting topics. Dr. Roseman. Well, it's, uh, this is uh, how we started off a year ago. Uh, we started off at the top and worked down as we developed different areas of uh, conversation on education. Today we have back uh, Dr. Cade Brumley, uh, who is our superintendent of uh, schools in all of Louisiana. Uh, Cade said to make it short, so I'm going to make it a little <laughs> short, but uh, I can't help but say that I've known Cade a long time. Uh, that. Uh, uh, he has been from a time of a history teacher uh, to his uh, time at uh, DeSoto as a sc school superintendent and a small rural district which did tremendous improvements over the time that he was there to go into Jefferson, which is the biggest school system mm -hmm. uh, in Louisiana and doing a great job there and now is our state superintendent of education and I will tell you is doing a great job now. And uh, we uh, appreciate you coming and speaking with us a little bit. Um, I know we talked last year and um, I say one of the things that I, I'm always thinking about and are that uh, people have taught me is don't let the noise uh, overcome what's important. Uh, and mm -hmm. so let's talk about the important stuff first. Yeah the things that you believe are the most important things as far as how we can improve education uh, in, our, uh, in, our, in our state. And you know, for some time I've talked with you, you've talked about issues like early childhood education, literacy, and about school career connections, and I know there are others, but yeah. just tell us what's important, tell us what we need to be concentrating on in our state. Well, it's, it's an honor to be back. Thank you all for uh, having me. Um, I think for our agency at the Louisiana Department of Education, we have a set of priorities that take precedent over most other things. Uh, I would say early care and education, you know, working with uh, our earliest learners across the state and their families to make sure access is available for high quality childcare. Um, the literacy work that we're doing, uh, we've been super aggressive on the literacy front the last few years and that strategy is beginning to pay off. Um, but with all of that attention to literacy, math is getting a little jealous. So we have to start um, giving some, some uh, more uh, attention to detail there. You know, we think and talk and work a lot around the high school experience and how we can transform our high schools to be more responsive to uh, the needs of today. Um, elevating that, that teaching profession, uh, making mm -hmm. uh, teaching a, a, a place where people want to be uh, and can excel because um, outside of the parent, there's not a greater factor influencing an outcome than a teacher. And then for us, the, the last piece really that's, that's on the highest level of priority, uh, along with those others, is just the, the school choice piece of making sure that families are in the driver's seat of the type of education their, their children receive uh, and breaking down barriers so that families can access options that might not be the normal option for them. Let's break it down just a second and talk a little bit more specific 
on each one of those major issues. The first one you talked about is the early development of children. Where are we in Louisiana and where do we need to be and how do we get there? Well, I mean, I think this is an important conversation, particularly in this market, um, because people within this community have really tried to invest from a philanthropic standpoint uh, into trying to make sure that, that families have access to high quality care. Um, and, and, and this is for every income of, of a family uh, to make sure that, that kids have access to high quality care educationally for the child, but also so the parents can attend to work or school or the things that, that they may, may need to do. Um, over the last few years, we have had tremendous, a tremendous influx of federal dollars for early care and education. And the, the purpose of that was to create as much, um, uh, to, to enhance the industry as much as possible so kids have seats. That money is beginning to, to draw down. Um, our legislature, this last legislative session, uh, placed more funding for early care and education than in the history of our state. So the legislators really prioritized that. They made a historic investment. But even with that investment, we won't be able to serve as many kids um, because of the federal pullback. So I, I think that stabilizing that industry has happened. We were able to do that. Um, but I think right now it's like, how do we continue to work on the quality of those centers um, and make sure that, that those centers are able to operate so that they can continue to serve their communities? You know, I think a lot of times people don't, if they don't have children or grandchildren relatively close, don't really know how much that costs. And the cost of childcare, it's not just for those that are in the lowest socioeconomic group, it's all the way up in, in for young people uh, to be able to afford the you know child care for their children. Let's, let's talk about literacy uh, just a little bit. Uh, uh, you know, probably a decade ago, maybe a little bit longer, they had what's called the Mississippi Miracle, which was, uh, I think basically, spurred Louisiana to start thinking about what they could do because Mississippi seemed to have found something that worked in literacy. We've now been concentrating on literacy and I think we've had some good results. I'll let you talk about that. But also, where do we go from here? What do we need to do more in, our, in the area of literacy? Well, you, you called it out correctly. Like Mississippi provided a model of many of the things that could be done to solve for a literacy crisis. Um, for us, uh, we believed it was of the utmost importance just to be transparent and honest with the numbers. And so three years ago, we called out the crisis, said we've got to address this. Um, and so thankfully, our legislature has really been on board with supporting this, um, our state board, uh, and we have a ton of energy in the schools around it now. But it, it, it really is, is a science of reading approach. And to just simplify that, um, it's back to the basics and teaching kids phonics. The ability to deconstruct and then reconstruct words, the ability to understand sounds and how those sounds come together. Um, and so we're just going all in on this phonics-based approach. Um, we have a suite of legislation that essentially mirrors the Mississippi legislation from a decade ago. Um, we just released um, LEAP results, which is our uh, state assessment. And our third graders uh, from 22 to 23 um, saw a 5% increase in mastery rates. Um, our fourth graders saw a 6% increase in mastery compared to when they were in third grade. Um, and then when we look at the nation's report card, Louisiana led the country 
in fourth grade reading growth. And so that tells us we have to hold the line on this approach. Um, it's the right approach. We just have to continue to get more buy-in and, and cultivate the science of reading within the state of Louisiana. And one, oh, go ahead. Oh, no, I was, go I was going to mention, you know, as a, a parent, uh, of all these, uh, the parents who have the kids right now in elementary school who are learning to read, we learn through phonics, yeah. right? I'm, I'm dating myself. Actually, I don't have third graders. <laughs> I could, uh, I'll have, I'm maybe third graders in a few years. But I bet the parents love this because it makes sense to them and they can work with their kids and teach their kids. And the prior approaches were just kind of head scratchers. Well, they were confusing. They were, they were confusing techniques to teachers and, and parents, and somewhere along the way, the system kind of lost its way. And I don't know why, um, but when we talk about this approach and when parents and grandparents see this approach, they go, ah, yes, I understand that. I agree with that. I can help with that. And it, it tends to make sense to them. But, but what we have to also think about is how are we training teachers? How are we training leaders? Um, how are we funding this work? How do we continue to, to keep the, the pressure on so that we don't um, revert back to old confusing methodologies for teaching children how to read? Yeah, I think Mississippi taught us something that we can all yeah. do, and, and now we should take that and, and move it to its highest level. Don't turn back now, that would be a real mistake. There was some legislation just um, uh, in this past uh, uh, session uh, about accountability related to uh, to literacy, um, and you know, I went through a period of time when we did that 15, 20 years ago, uh, and there became a time when people, when children got really behind in their grades and all that sort of thing. Can you tell me what we're going to be doing in order to prevent a, a large group of of overage children now going through the system? Well, um, you're referencing the third grade retention law, mm -hmm. um, which essentially says if children by the end of third grade aren't reading proficiently, then they're retained. And um, it, it basically ends this idea of social promotion mm -hmm. because students have to perform at a certain level in order to, to promote beyond the third grade. 10 years ago, 15 years ago, the, the challenge with that was there weren't a set of interventions and procedures and processes in K-3, K-1 and 2, to prepare the child and the family for third grade. Uh, I think a significant difference today is all of the literacy work um, that has, that has um, passed and that we are doing so that it's not a surprise for the family in third grade that along the way schools are working to make sure that this child doesn't get caught up at the end of third grade. Um, one, another important piece of legislation, and, and we have a dozen relative to literacy, is just students will now take a screener in grades K through three, three times a year, short, brief, um, but it will give the teacher information on how to better educate, but also it will give the parent notification in a very transparent and honest way on the child's ability to or not to uh, be able to read. And, and we think that's important because we don't want any surprises. But I think the intervention piece in advance of the child getting to third grade and the work that can be done um, will hopefully prevent what happened in the past. So I have a question. At this point, do you have an estimate based on the numbers you have now of what percentage statewide of kids could potentially be held back? And part two of the question is, 
could you be held back two years or three years or four years? Yeah, um, I, I don't recall the exact number. We did provide that number during the legislative session. Um, but, but to answer, answer the question, I, I would say like this, we, we don't want to get to a position where a child is being held back multiple years. And so that's why these intervention pieces are really important on the front end. And hopefully we never get to the point where we're having to retain because all of this literacy work um, has taken hold. And, and kids are reading more proficiently. And he, here's why I think it, here's a really good example of why I think it could work. I, I'll go back to the nation's report card. Uh, it's, it's a brag point for us, so I'm happy to say it. Oh yeah. But it also tells a story. If you looked at the nation's report card from 2019 until 2022, and you look at fourth grade readers, are, the, the children in the state of Louisiana are more proficient readers in 2022 than they were in 2019. Even through the pandemic, when we look at fourth grade reading ability, the fourth graders are stronger readers after the pandemic and after the hurricanes mm -hmm. than they were before. And so that, that tells me, and that was very early on uh, in this process, that, that tells me that this is the right strategy and we just have to keep our foot on the accelerator. Yeah. So one other question I have too is, in Louisiana, and Dr. Roseman and I have talked a whole lot about this, in Louisiana, we didn't keep our kids out for two years. We tried to get them back in school in some form as quickly as possible, unlike some other states, which really did hold them back. In hindsight, did we make the right choice? Oh, I think, I think we absolutely made the right choice. Uh, I credit individuals like Dr. Uh, Roseman, who is you know, someone who I count on for, for information and others across the state. Um, I think one of the greatest educational failures uh, we will see, uh, and history books will point out, will be um, closing down schools. Mm -hmm. And we were very aggressive in not doing that. We held the line on, let's not do that uh, unless we absolutely have to. Um, certainly we took a lot of criticism for that, but we also had a lot of parents saying thank you. You know, that's the right thing to do, keep those schools open. And, and, and we did the mitigation efforts that we felt like were reasonable, but overall we, we kept schools open. And I will, I will give credit to the entire state for this because even, even groups that sometimes oppose each other on educational issues, they all kind of got on the bus with this particular issue and said, you know, we can, we can do this. And, and we did. Well, I'll, I've got to say something about you uh, here. Uh, it takes leadership to get there. You can get all the disparate people and they're all out there trying to do the right thing, but unless they have somebody stand up with courage about and, and tell, talk the truth, it doesn't happen. And I think that's what you did here. And uh, I think that that's gonna go a long way in our future for some of these children. I've, I've talked with parents who have like second graders who had that period of time when all their language development was behind a mask. Well, those children are way behind, not just a little behind, uh, and the things that are gonna need to be done. But, you know, I'm thankful, I think, for you and, and others that got uh, behind this. Let me, let me tell you about may something. I, may I ask, yeah. may I, just an important, you, you brought this up. The last year's third and fourth graders, this upcoming school year's fourth and fifth graders, to me, have been the most impacted group of students from the pandemic because they were in kindergarten and first grade in the spring of 2020 when their school year was cut short. Then in that first year back to school when there was a series of starts and stops, even with the work that we did to keep kids in school, 
they were still impacted. And those are those foundational years. That's when you're learning to read. That's when you're learning your basic math skills. And so for us, we, we have tried to call out all year to systems and educators and policymakers, these children are the ones that we really need to go all in on to support. And so that's why when we released the latest LEAP results, we were so pleased to see that growth in literacy um, because we knew that those kids were the ones most impacted. And I think parents out there and grandparents, if, if they have children that are this upcoming school years, you know, fourth and fifth graders, they get that. They understand that. Well, let me talk about a little bit about, we're talking about what happened during uh, the pandemic uh, and the impact of the uh, pandemic. One of the things that we learned this past year in a series of talks with people in education and nonprofit world was the truancy rates uh, for children this past year in school. And obviously, if you're not in school, you're not going to be doing very well on the test or, or anything. You're not going to be progressing. Um, and so we, I think, uh, John Ed has done a tremendous job getting the word out about this truancy issue and, and has really gone, gone deep with it. But what are we, I know this is not just Caddo and Bossier and Webster and DeSoto, this is across the state. What are we doing to try to deal with the truancy issue? Are there best practices that we need to be putting into place now? No, and it, it's not just Shreveport, Bossier, New Orleans, Baton Rouge, it's Detroit, it's San Francisco, it's you know Little Rock, it's everywhere across the country. Um, but we're concerned about kids here. And I think that one of the negatives uh, kind of that happened as a result of the pandemic is for, for some kids, school became optional because they were sometimes doing virtual, sometimes face-to-face, -face, and they just thought, hmm, well, I don't always have to be at school. And I think that has carried over. So we do have a truancy uh, issue. We have a, a chronic absenteeism uh, issue in our state and across the country. And I kind of think about this in a, for myself in like this, this, um, this way. You have to have a school system that has really good and clean data to know the kids that are and are not attending school. So we need to clean up the data systems. The next thing is you, you have to have your district attorneys and juvenile judges willing to step in and do their part um, within their role and within their lanes. And they, they have to show that they mean it, that they mean what, what, they're, what they're saying. Uh, and then the next piece is having the community organizations to step in, whether they're faith-based or civic or mental health, and provide those uh, additional services that those, those students and, and, and families need. All of this goes back to the parent and guardian, clearly. Um, but I think that you have to have a system of streamlined information, and really it begins with clean data systems from our school system. Well, one of the statistics that she shared with me that just blew my mind, actually, is that back before the pandemic, we would have 300, 350, 380 truancies. That's 10-day uh, absences, truancies in elementary school students. This past year, it was 3,115, something like that. It's 700% increase. So it's not just the kids that are making these determinations. We, the parents are yeah. partly, are more responsible for the elementary school students making that thing. And, and so what do we need to do to encourage them? Uh, what, what needs to happen in that, in that area? You know, I really think that um, we're going to do our part as a state agency to, to support this work. Um, and we have uh, begun a process of calling 
supervisors of this work across the entire state together regularly to talk about these specific issues. But at, at, the, at the root of it, this is, a, this is a local issue that has to be solved locally with individuals who are really concerned about what's mm -hmm. happening within their local community. Um, and I, I know it sounds assertive or too aggressive, but you, you truly do have to have um, the, the district attorney's offices and the juvenile judge's offices willing to step in um, in situations where these attendance rates are just beyond normal. Um, we understand, you know, you have to take a kid to the doctor, they miss school, there's, you know, there are things that happen, but some of these truancy and attendance rates are just way beyond anything that we should be experiencing. One of the other issues that we, uh, we talked about uh, was in the area of social emotional development. And um, can you talk a little bit about um, social emotional development, um, uh, the bullying issues? Mm -hmm. That also got to be worse yeah. uh, after the pandemic from the, from the aspect of uh, what was happening at uh, depression, anxiety, loneliness, so even suicide rates increased, and uh, what was happening with bullying and what was violence in the schools. Can you, can you talk about what we're doing as a state, you know, to, to deal with that issue? I know that's mostly local. Yeah. Well, I mean, to take it back for a moment, um, this is one of the reasons why we wanted to end and we went out to end these unnecessary quarantining practices of children. Because when we were looking at data, um, it was showing mental health trips to the ER were increasing. It was showing childhood obesity increasing, juvenile diabetes increasing. All of these, these things that should, should be going in one way were going in the wrong direction. And so we said, no, we need to have uh, children in school. Um, we also believed during the pandemic that counseling um, needed to be available to both children and the faculty. Uh, so if they were experiencing something uh, and they needed someone to talk to, that they would have access uh, to that. Um, I'm, I'm a little uh, skeptical when schools turn into more of a social institution than an academic institution. So I think we have to be careful about that uh, because we're academic institutions first, but, but clearly we need to be making support services available um, should students need those additional supports. Listen, this has been very helpful. I, I know for me, I learned a lot, and I know for those that are watching, I learned a lot. Uh, we'll come back next week and kind of do this again. We have some more questions <laughs> that we'd like to, to uh, talk with you about, but thanks, uh, you know, for being here, coming to Northwest Louisiana and supporting Northwest Louisiana, because you are a Northwest Louisiana <laughs> thanks boy. Thanks for having me home. <laughs> <laughs> and thank you for joining us today for Education Checkup. You can watch this podcast on ktvs.com or listen anywhere you listen to your other favorite podcast. Have a good day and join us next time for Education Checkup.